Good morning. It's daylight savings. Y'all got an extra hour of sleep, and you were still late to church, so a little more life. Good morning. Pray with me. Father, you are so great. You're so powerful. You're so big, Father, and sometimes our need for your power it so consumes us that we forget the fact that you actually want to be in a relationship with us, Father. I pray that as we come to you for our needs, that we wouldn't lose sight of the fact um, that you want to do so much more than just provide for our needs, Lord. Help us as we read your word to engage and to be reminded that you are a compassionate and a great God. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, we live in a world where we constantly find ourselves running into problems. And what I found out is that real people that find themselves with real problems tend to, as hard as they can, look for real remedies to the problems that take place. It's clear as day. This past week, Wednesday night, about 50 of us were in here. And uh, as our time wound down, somebody went outside and they said, hey, Five cars got broken into. So then right there, you know, the first thought is, man, I hope it's not my car. And so you go outside and you look and it's not yours, so you're, you're joyful, but then you see the five folks that did get their cars broken into, and then you feel sad for them. Um, and what takes place is that it was a real problem, and so what people did was they called the police. And they came out here, whatever, a guy came out, and it was... Probably somebody that just had a long day. So he came out, and you have these five folks out here that, man, have to go through repairing a broken window after their long days. And so they go to this guy who has the power to help them, and he does, and he helps them, but he just kind of seemed really standoffish. And all the folks that were out there, they kind of felt just like a face in the crowd. And he met their need, but that's all that he did. And then he kind of sent them on their way. And he left just really, really quick. And what took place were, was you had these folks that had a real problem, that had a very real need. They called on somebody to meet that need. And he met that need, but in a way that was very off-putting. And so what takes place is... Most of the folks that are here in the room, chances are they're probably not going to call the police station to chat it up with the guy that came to sit in and talk to him. Because at the end of the day, they're frustrated by the way that he dealt with things. And the next time that they're going to call the police is when they find themselves with a problem that needs to be solved. For most of us, the police only somebody that we call because we know the power that they have and we call them when we need a problem solved. Sadly, as we think of relationship with Jesus and Christianity, I think if a lot of us were honest, we tend to relate to Jesus in much of the same way. I really need you to help me solve this problem and I know that you can and I run to you because I know that you have the power to take care of what's wrong. 
And my need is so great that at the end of the day, sometimes relationship comes very secondary. I really don't mind that when I close, I just need you to solve this problem. And then when the need's met, I'm going to go back about my business. And then I'll come back to you when I find myself in need. But when I'm not in need or when I don't feel myself in this deep need, there's not as much of a draw to come. As we look at our text today in Mark 7, what we're going to see is people that are in the same boat as we are, real people with real needs, trying to find real answers, and they even come to the right person, the one that can take care of their needs. But what we're going to see is a picture of a God that wants so much more for us than to just meet the the needs that we have. We're going to come face to face with not just the God that has the power to meet these needs, but a compassionate God. Mark 7, verse 31, we're going to start off and it says this. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue and looked up to heaven. He sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one But the more that he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. Just a bit of context as we dive in. What goes on is the last time Jesus was in this town, he healed this man that had a demon cast it into pigs. These pigs ran off of the end. And the last time that he was here in this town, the people were so fearful of his power that they told him, don't come back. So the last time that he's here, Jesus displays his power and people tell him, don't come back. And the man that he freed wants to come with Jesus. And this is the first time and the only time in the Gospel of Mark until the end that Jesus tells him, no, 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 don't come with me. Go and tell all of the great things that I did. So this man goes and tells all of these great things. Now, Jesus comes back to this place and you have a group of folks that aren't trying to push him away. They see him as somebody that can take care of the problems that I have. And look here at this text. Verse 31, it says here, Then he returned to the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. There's a man here with a real problem and a real need. And they bring him to the right person that can give him a remedy for his problem. Let me sit back and explain to you a little bit about what his problem is. Right? As you go through the Gospel of Mark, one thing that you see is that Jesus heals lots of people with life-threatening problems. 
right? Folks that are sick, folks that are possessed by demons and starting to cause harm, folks that are dying, folks that are dead, folks that have leprosy. There's all of these sicknesses that he heals. But right here, what Mark does is he zooms in on this one guy. Now, being deaf and having a speech impediment, it's not a life-threatening sickness, but it is a life-emptying one. In that the most fundamental thing about you and I is that God made us for relationships with people. Relationships take words. If you can't hear words and you can't speak words plainly, what it means is that you're isolated. Right? So, I don't know what it is to be deaf, but I do know what it is to have a speech impediment. So, I grew up my whole life stuttering, and one of the things that, um, uh, that life entails is that there's a lot of words that are on your mind but don't come out of your mouth. And it's not because you ask yourself... Uh, is what's on my mind worth saying? But the question that you ask yourself is, is what is on my mind worth embarrassing myself to communicate? And so what takes place is there's lots of things that you want to say and want to share, but go left unsaid because of a fear of, man, I may look like a fool if I do this. It's feelings of being isolated and held at bay and feelings of uh, judgment and people treating you as if you're stupid and things like this. And that's just one side of this coin. And so you've got this man who he can't just speak right, but he's deaf. So as he goes through life, there's this man that's really in need of, of God's help. But he's isolated. He's estranged. Isolation is when the life itself is sucked out of you. There's a man here with a very real need. And what an amazing picture that we see right here. Is you've got this man. He doesn't find his way to Jesus. Somebody else helps him find his way to the Lord. Isn't that true of all of us that have met Jesus? We didn't stumble and find our way into Him, but we serve such a great God who sent people down our path to bring us to Him and to bring His Word to us. So this man is brought to Christ a very real problem in need of a very real remedy. And they bring it to Him. And the words that they use is, we want you to lay your hands on us just want you to heal him. And look at the details of this story. When you read stories, the most important thing is not that something took place, but it's how it took place. When the author talks about the how, there's a point that he's trying to make, and I think that the point that he's trying to make is this. Jesus offers more than a remedy for our problems. He offers relationship. Look here at verse 33. It says this. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. 
And he looked up to heaven and he sighed and he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. Jesus is powerful. The gospel of Mark thus far has shown us this. But what Mark wants to do is highlight here is not so much his power, but his compassion. Jesus is powerful, yes, but his power is eclipsed by his compassion. The very first thing that he does for this one man with a group of folks that brought him up just to take care of his problem was Jesus pulls him off to the side. For the rest of the folks here, this man was likely just a face in the crowd. Just one of the many people that had to be healed with a sickness that left him relationally isolated. And what Jesus does is he pulls him aside and gives him personal attention. What a compassionate God that we serve that doesn't just treat us like another number. He doesn't just treat us like those that are in need. He doesn't have long days and get frustrated to the point where He just comes in and takes care of the need and wants to be out. This is not an inconvenience. It's Jesus taking this man and showing him his immense dignity and value and worth. And then the details of this story play out. It seems weird, right? He looks, puts his fingers in his ears, spits and puts some on his tongue, a grown man. That's just weird. Looks up, sighs, and then talks to him. Why would he do all of that? The story right before this, Jesus heals a girl miles away with just words. What's with all the theatrics? Is he old now? Does he need to stretch and kind of wind up before he really heals this man? I don't think that that's the case at all. Because it tells us he takes this man aside and it's just he and him. Do you know what he's doing here? These theatrics aren't for the rest of the world. It's for this one man that can't hear, that can't speak. Jesus is taking pains to come down and to communicate to this man in a way that he can grasp. Puts his fingers in his ears to let him know that he's going to do something about that. He spits and puts, puts, puts it on his tongue to let him know, I know the intricacies of what's wrong. Face to face with this man, he looks up to God to let him know, Yo, this is where my help comes from. And then he sighs. The thing about a sigh is you don't have to hear a word. Right? When your spouse is mad or when your kids are mad and they're across the room and you see, it's clear. There's an 
there's an exasperation. There's a frustration. Jesus is not just somebody that's going on a tour trying to heal folks, but his heart is broken. And it's not just that his heart's broken, but he wants to take time and go through great lengths to communicate his heart and his compassion to somebody that's desperately in need of that. What a great God that we serve that doesn't speak over our heads. But He comes down to right where we are and He communicates very clearly to us. Communication always has in mind the person that's on the receiving end of it. That's why when you want your kids to go to bed at nap time or you have friends and you're getting ready to leave and kids are around, if you don't want them to know something, then what you do is you spell the word. Because I want you to know, but I don't want them to know. Because if they know, then they're going to throw this fit. But if we really want to talk to them, then we get down and communicate in an appropriate way. And it's not enough that the God of the universe embodied himself as a man so that he could communicate to men like us. But Jesus is going to take this a step further and go to great lengths to communicate to the least of these. Those that are needy, in desperate need of knowing that they're not all alone. Of knowing that they're not by themselves. But there is a God that takes note of them. You and I that are educated can learn a great lesson from Jesus. Taking great pains to ensure that as we're talking about the great things that we see in God's Word, that we don't share it in such a way where people are estranged or they don't know what goes on, but that we get down and condescend and make sure that they know and they grasp that there is a God that cares, there is a God that sees, there is a God that knows what's wrong. What an amazing Savior. There's no handicap that can stop Him from communicating His great compassion to those that are in need. This is the picture. This is what Mark is trying to highlight in Jesus. Jesus is not some political candidate that, that goes to the AUC this past week and tries to put on this veneer of, I'm for them. Jesus is not some, somebody that's doing all of these things, trying to gain publicity. He's somebody that goes and takes the least of these, condescends, communicates that he wants to help, that he wants to change things. Here's the beauty about what Jesus does. He comes down and he stoops low to communicate that he knows right where we're at. And then if he ever communicates in such a way as to speak over our head, it's only to call us up to a higher standard. Look at the way that he heals this deaf man. It's not through all the things that he does with his hands. That's just to let the man know. Look, look here at verse 
34. Mark goes to great lengths to say this. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha. So he goes to great lengths, not just to tell us what he said, but to give the exact word that he used so that it's clear Jesus healed this man with a word. The irony of that. If there was a deaf man, you know what you and I wouldn't waste our time doing? Talking to him. Our words are ineffective. Our words are powerless. They're pointless. They go out, but they don't do anything. As Jesus comes, He heals this deaf man by the power of His Word. Do you know the one person who has words that are powerful, that actually do things? God Himself. Isaiah 55 says this, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth um, and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, hear this, God says, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. We can speak to a deaf man and it doesn't do anything because our words don't have power. Jesus heals a deaf man by speaking to him because his words have power. The same power that God's word had when he spoke into darkness and light came on. When he spoke to a formless and void world and land took shape. It's a principle that starts from the outset of the Bible and goes all the way through. It's that God repairs and brings order by the power of His Word. Which draws our attention back to the beginning of the Bible. God made the world. Why did He make the world with words? Because words lie at the heart of communication. Communication lies at the heart of relationship. When God created the world and created us, it was more than just to solve a problem. It was to create relationship. It was more than for compliance, but it was for conversation. God creates and does all of these things for relationship. Even as God speaks and draws this man in, It's for relationship. There is no situation, there is no hopeless circumstance for which God's Word is not the answer. They came to Jesus for a solution to their problems, but Jesus says, I want to give you so much more than just a solution to this problem. I want to invite you in to relationship. And then we look at the end of the story. And one thing that we see is that the man being deaf is not the biggest 
problem that he had. Deafness is not the biggest problem that we have when it comes to relationship with God. Look here at verse 36. Mark goes on and just makes this, this point here at the end. Especially after Jesus has just healed this man that was deaf. A man that couldn't hear. Jesus heals him in such a way that showing he wants to draw him into relationship. And look what takes place here. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speaks. That's the craziest ending to a story. Jesus uses a word to heal this deaf man. So it's clear there's power in his word that's not the same as in our words. He's completely trustworthy because Jesus, like God, all of his words are his actions. So there's no reason for us to doubt anything that he says. He speaks a word and somebody that can't hear can hear. And then at the end, what we see is this. This same Jesus, he didn't change, speaks a word to a group of folks and their problem is our problem. And our true problem is this. It's not that we can't hear. It's that we won't listen. It's not that we can't hear, it's that we won't listen. God's gone through great pains to ensure that everything he's wanted for you and I to do has been clear as day. Don't eat from that tree. Don't lie. Don't cheat. Don't steal. And all of these things aren't just just rules, but they're the pathway towards relationship with God. And in our hearts, there's this thing where regardless of how clear God is, it doesn't matter. It's not that he's failed to be clear. It's that we failed to be convinced that his word is true and his word is good. And the biggest way to spurn a relationship is to do the exact opposite of what somebody asked you to do. Um, a few weeks ago, um, I, I called Papa John's and ordered a pizza. They said it was going to be 35 minutes. Two hours later, I called in and I said, hey, I called. They said that it was going to be here. Y'all are right down the road. When's it going to come? And they said, hey, we just put it in the car, just put it on the truck. It's getting ready to come your way. 30 minutes later, it's still not there. So what I do is I get mad and upset, and I'm not that guy, but I was just burning hot on the inside. I felt like a grave injustice had been done towards me. So I call the corporate hotline, and what I say is, hey, I'm not sure how y'all do business, but if y'all do things this way, y'all aren't going to have much business. Here's what's going on. I ordered a pizza two and a half how was it going? It's not here. They say that it's ready. I just want my pizza. And the uh, lady on her side of the phone says, Sir, 
I can understand why you're frustrated and all that stuff. And she says, I'm going to call the store and, and, and I'm going to make sure that things are good. And so what I tell her is, and I don't want to pay full price for it either. <laughs> so she calls in and then she clicks over and comes back. And what she says is, um, hey, the manager's not going to budge on your order and or blah, 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 blah. You still have to pay full price, but we can get it here. And so I told her, I said, I do not want to pay full price. However, don't cancel the order. I've been waiting two and a half hours for this supreme thin crust. I'm hungry. Do not cancel my order. So she clicks over and comes back and she says, hey, they still wouldn't budge on the price. So I canceled the order. And I was sitting and like it was unbelievable. If somebody wasn't right there in the room, I would think that I didn't tell her. But I said, I asked you not to cancel this order. You did what I told you not to do. Our relationship is done. And I hung up <laughs> the phone. When somebody's clear in their directives and you willingly say, well, I heard what you said. I think I'm going to do something else. What you're saying is, I don't trust you with making the decisions in my life. I don't trust your perspective. I don't trust your wisdom. I don't trust your goodness. I, I, uh, I don't trust your kindness. I don't trust you. If I'm going to find good, it's not going to come as a result of me listening. It's going to come as a result of me disobeying. And what lies at the heart of all sin is people that can hear God loud and clear, but won't listen. People that have spurned the relationship from God. G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, every man that knocks on the door of a brothel is actually looking for God. And his point was, every person that goes outside of God's will, that does things that they know that they're wrong, they do it not because they didn't hear God, but they're searching for God in some way that they think that He is. They're searching for this sense of love and security and compassion and peace. And they're trying to find it outside of the things that, that God said. It started with Adam and Eve and it trickles down to all of us. Our problem is not that we can't hear, it's that we don't listen. And when you don't listen, it ruins and it fractures relationships. Satisfaction is never going to be had. And so the question is, what's the answer? What's the solution? When it's clear as day that we all find ourselves in that same boat over and over and over. The solution to our willing deafness is the same that it was to this man's unwilling deafness. God's word 
the power of this great gospel. This story ends with a very odd request. Jesus tells these folks who He just did this great work for, don't say anything. That's a hard word for somebody that's been silenced his whole life. Jesus heals him, and then He tells him to be silent about this. So why does Jesus tell him don't say anything? I think that he does it, or I think what makes it very, very clear is as you read through the rest of this gospel, that when you get to the end, Jesus doesn't tell anybody, don't say anything, but he tells them, go and tell. And Jesus tells people, go and tell, when they have the full picture, the full depths of his compassion. The problem with this is, it's not that the things that they would say about Jesus are untrue. It's that, and let me create a word here, it's that the things that they were going to say about Jesus were undertrue. In the same way that food can be undercooked. It's cooked, but it's not all of what it's going to be. That chicken, if it's still pink, it's undercooked. It may take care of your hunger in the short term, but long term it's just going to bring you more harm than good. Jesus did not just come into the world to heal people of their problems. He did that while he was here, but if that's all that you take and all that you tell, it's an under-truth. And all that it's going to do is it's going to provide people with long-term dissatisfaction because one day, Jesus is not going to take care of your problem. One day, he's not going to heal your disease. One day, he's not going to stop somebody that you love from dying. And if your hope is built on a Jesus that solves problems, that's disappointing. Jesus leaves from here and he spends time with the disciples and what he tells them over and over and over is this. The reason why I came into the world was not just to solve these problems, but it was to die. The reason why I came into the world is because this willing deafness that all of us have is the one thing that has spurned the relationship that we have with God. We're destined to an eternity in hell, not because God forced us there, but because we've willingly chose to find good outside of God. And anybody that goes outside of God to try to find good only finds death all the time. And Jesus says, here's the real reason why I came into the world. To die. God, from the creation of the world, has provided an invitation for relationship with him. And it's been spurned. So Jesus comes and he not only provides an invitation, but he provides the substitution that's needed for us to get this right relationship with God. 
the end of this story is that the one man who heard everything that God said and did it perfectly, the one man who heard from God, I want you to live a perfect life and then die for the sins of the people that were imperfect, he did that. He never faltered. He never once chose to try to find good outside of God. He was the one man that earned relationship with God if it could be earned. And Jesus doesn't just provide us an invitation to come in. The good news is that He's our substitution. He pays for our sin. So that now entrance into relationship with God is actually possible for people like you and me. And the funny thing is that is, as you look through the book of Acts, every time that there's a healing in Acts 3, Peter and them heal this man that's lame. The community comes to them and starts to praise them. And what they say is, Yo, don't praise me. God did this. Well, the same God that you killed and put on the cross. However, by him dying, he paid the price for all of our sin so that all of us could actually have relationship with God. And so what they do is they go and tell this message about the depths of God's compassion. That a God would save sinners like you and me. And restore them to relationship with himself. That's the fully cooked message of Christ. A Jesus that takes care of your problems is enough to, to go and tell folks about. But a Jesus that takes care of my deepest problem, pays the price for my sin, and brings me back to relationship with God that's not just worth speaking about. That's not just going to produce good PR. That's going to produce martyrs. People that are willing to die for this. And that's what God's trying to produce. People that would say, I stopped up my own ears and went after all that God was trying to protect me from. But Jesus came and spoke that word of the gospel to all that would receive it. Repent. Turn from your sin. There's an invitation right now that if you, if all of us in here would actually stop right now and say, Father, I hear you loud and clear. I've seen the depths of my sin and I know the depths of your compassion. Save me from my sin. Open up my ears. Help me to be somebody that has a heart that's willing to hear from you and respond that God would save us. That our eternal destiny would change. Because God's great power in Jesus is paired with God's matchless compassion. And this is such a different picture than anybody else's God's. 
the gods of the Greeks at this time, they would come down to earth, but they would just flex their power. They would get folks to submit to them, but it was always a display of their power. Here, this God has said, I want to come here to the earth, and I want to die. And I don't want people... Listen to the beauty of what Jesus says. Jesus doesn't want to be known apart from His work to save sinners. What an amazing God that would link our destiny with His. And so the beauty of this great truth for all of us that have put our trust in Christ is that God graciously provides the thing that we lack. And now, do you know what we have? The message that we get a chance to go out with is not a message of condemnation. It's not. It's a message of compassion. So we can go out strongly proclaiming that the life that you live, the life that you have right now, you don't have to have that. There is a God that is willing to trade places. There is a substitute. There is a way for you to experience the life and the peace and the compassion and the security that you've worked so hard for but can't get elsewhere. And it's found in this great compassionate God that does a great benefit to us in not just taking care of our problems, but providing for us a way to get back to God and drawing us in. God has always been clear. Clarity is not our main problem. It's being convinced of His goodness and that His Word actually has power. And that's why we do what we do here week in and week out. It's not our words that have power. It's God's words. And so as long as we live here as a church, we're going to repeat His Word. And our prayer is that as long as you live, that you would do the same thing. Repeat His words and be convinced that we have a God whose power is often outshined by His compassion that He would save people like you and me without us asking, but because He sees our great need and loves us. This is a great message for us to reflect on and proclaim. Let's pray. Father God, um, sometimes... We just need to take a step back and to be reminded that you're not a distant, powerful God that keeps a scorecard of our rights and our wrongs, but you are a God that has paid for our sin. We've rejected the invitation to come to you, and you would have been just in casting us aside, but instead you came to this earth and instead of throwing us away, Father, Jesus came and threw his life away for us. We are grateful, Father. Help us not to treat this message 
so lightly. Help us to be reminded, Father, that all of what we're searching for, we spend our time on, can be found in you and only you, Father. Give us grace to constantly be grateful for your great gospel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.